We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Is the gospel fragile? And later we're talking about career versus kids. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome to The Common Good on this Valentine's Day. We are so glad that you're with us. Hopefully you're going to celebrate with friends or with family or with some loved one. And if uh, you've missed any of the show, that could be a very romantic Valentine's uh, experience to turn on the show and listen with your significant other. There you go. Light some candles, turn on some romantic music, listen to the common good. With, <laughs> with your, our... <laughs> with your spouse or your loved one tonight. I'm sure nothing, they'll really appreciate it. Nothing says the nothing says Valentine's Day like the, the sweet, sultry voice of Aubrey and Brian. <laughs> and the common good. And that's right. That's right. We'd also love to have you while you're listening to us on this Valentine's Day. Engage with us on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on Instagram. All right, Brian, I want to have a conversation about a something you hear sometimes from Christians. Um, for instance, a, a while ago, like removing prayer in schools mm. was kind of this big uh, lightning rod. And I heard a lot of Christians say, Things like we're removing prayer in schools, like the gospel, we're at war for the gospel. We're like fighting for the gospel. The gospel's at stake here. And there's been a number of things throughout our history, especially here in the States, where it it is um, communicated as a threat to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I, I understand what people are saying, and maybe we'll talk about both sides of this. But some other times it feels like the gospel is fragile and we have to be very careful because it like handle it with kit gloves and there's scarcity uh, when it comes to the. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. And this is a hard conversation because. Uh, and we're, I've been thinking about this because we're going to reference a Twitter thread here in a second that I actually read the other day and was like, OK, that's interesting, because on the one hand, uh, th- there are things that the church does or others that can give people a wrong view of the gospel that can um, you know, do all sorts of things. But in reality. This is where this becomes problematic is when people are like, we have to elect that person so that the gospel can go forward. Otherwise, yeah, this yeah. or we have to, uh, you know, the schools must do this or gosh, if we keep letting entertainment do this. Like, I, I do think that there are reasons to have conversations about schools or, you know, what happened at the Grammys or whatever else it mm-hmm. might be. But I don't think the answer is or the reason is because it's going to circumvent the gospel spread in in uh, in our culture. I think the answer is like, gosh, we want to protect our kids or we want yeah. to do this. And so I do think that we do put language to or, or deep down we have this belief that if, uh, you know, 
if that person gets elected, then all of a sudden Jesus can no longer move within our culture. And we're like, no, no, that's not what happened. In fact, the, the gospel spread in the midst of great persecution and great um, right. people being killed for it. Right. So nothing's going to stop the gospel. Uh, but then the question becomes, but we do want to still have certain things be inbounds and out of bounds. So what, what, on what stands are we fighting? Yeah, it's an interesting conversation. We don't want to present a gospel that's fragile. That is that much we know is true. So this came up because, like you said, there's a tweet by a pastor out in Idaho named Reverend Benjamin Kremer. And here's it's a kind of a long thread. So I won't read all of it. But here's something that he says. He says, looking back on my evangelical upbringing. One of the most notable characteristics I found so troubling was the fragile picture it painted of Christianity for the world, one it still paints today. While it boasts scripture passages like not even the gates of hell can prevail against us, it acts like liberalism, secularism, and pluralism is somehow worse than hell and will usher in the end of Christianity itself. The way it reacts to books it doesn't like or lifestyles it disagrees with would cause one to think that the, quote, gospel it claims to represent is so fragile that it cannot survive if people in our culture believe and live differently than it does. Uh, that, to me, was a... Um, man, I, I feel like he's putting his finger on something that I do hear. Mm. Not... Everybody like so I, I want to be careful not to ever paint with a broad brush because sometimes you read these tweets and you go, OK, but who actually is doing this? And yet I do think it's true that it can sometimes we can paint the way we talk about our faith as if these other things are a threat to it. Right. Yeah. It can yeah. be threatening to Christianity. It can be threatening to the gospel. It can be threatening to our faith. And I wonder if it's that we're not as rooted in our faith as we should be. If we're not as rooted and faithful about the power of God as we should be. Like, I wonder what it is that kind of causes this scarcity mindset. I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you what, uh, Pastor Kremer says, then I'd love to hear your thoughts. He says this fragility is rooted in the sin of pride, and mm. it's a theological arrogance believing that only our movement has the truth, which leads to the natural false conclusion that the, quote, movement and, quote, truth are synonymous. I don't know if he's right that it's pride, but it's certainly something. What? Any thoughts on how this has occurred? I think uh, my first thought was it's a lack of actual actual belief in the power of the gospel, right? We all read the, That's we read the I'm verses, thinking. the, you know, uh, power of the gospel for salvation of those who believe. Cause I Kramer comes from a certain stream that I'm not going to be a part of much more progressive, much more. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm not going to agree with a lot of what he has to say. I, I think it's going to land more on deep down Aubrey. Do we believe if, if our, chosen candidate is not in office? Do we believe if the winds of culture are against us? Do we believe if um, our churches aren't, gr whatever else it might be, do we still believe in the power of the gospel? I think mm -hmm. uh, we might believe in the effectiveness of the gospel, but we yeah. forget that the gospel is a supernatural thing. Like the move right. of the Holy Spirit is supernatural right. and that the enemies that war against it aren't necessarily the same things that we're warring against <laughs> in this world. And so for me, I think it's a lack of belief deep down, even though we would say we believe all of this stuff. I think it, it boils down to do I truly believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the good news of the gospel will endure 
no matter what, whether the Romans are killing people or there are liberal progressives in the yeah. White House. Like yeah. none of it uh, is going to stop because uh, because it's not dependent on those things. This is this is God's good news to humanity and therefore it will endure and grow. Do you think that there are anything that are actual threats to the gospel? Like, I think you just kind of hit your you kind of just hinted at it that we are not. Our battle is not flesh and blood, as Paul talks about, but we're we're battling against principalities and powers. Like, do you? But even those principalities and powers are not an ultimate threat to the gospel long term. I don't think there's any ultimate threats. I don't think the gospel is ever going to go. Wow, it lost. Yeah, you know, and this. Yeah, I mean, Aubrey, but you speak of like what is going to slow it down or hinder its movement Mm -hmm. or what is. I think it's the church. Like, I think it's complacency in the church. And I think it's it's when we're not living as good representations of Jesus. That, to me, feels like it's going to do more damage to the spread of the gospel than any politician or any set yeah. of laws or anything. We see throughout history when government was most against the church, that's when the gospel spread. And it's always been confusing. So I think it comes true. down to... I think it comes down to complacency in the church. I think it comes down to uh, lack of focus in the church. I think we need to look in the mirror when we say, is the gospel going, you know, going forth? I don't think it's outside influences. Yeah, I I think you're right. It it comes down to like a lack of faith and like you said, a lack of belief and maybe even experience of the power of God. And that might be worth praying for that the Lord would increase our faith and our understanding of the power of his presence and the power of his word. Well, coming up next... Why should we go to church? We're going to talk about faithful church attendance when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Brian, are you a hockey fan? I like going to hockey games. You know me. I'm a, I'm a diehard sports fan in general. But of the quote-unquote four major sports, football, basketball, yeah. baseball, hockey, hockey's going to be a distant fourth for me. Okay, okay. But, man, going to games... There's no sport for me where it's di- the difference between TV and being in person is more crazy than hockey. Like, I, I watch hockey on TV, yeah. and I'm kind of like, eh, it's fine. It's okay. I'm trying to follow the puck. Right. You go to a game, and it's electric. So, it yeah, hockey's is. fun. You know me. I'm not a massive sports fan, and I love going to hockey games. Yeah. I, I, they are the, the fights that break out and just <laughs> fan energy is so fun. Well, on Saturday, February 25th at the All-State Arena, everyone is invited to join the Chicago Wolves and their family on a fellowship night. This is family and fellowship night. Again, Saturday, February 25th, All-State Arena. The night is dedicated to providing a memorable night with your family with a hockey game and all kinds of fun. And like I said, fellowship, the game starts at 7 p.m., you can enter to win a pair of tickets by going to 1160hope.com using the keyword faith. You might win two tickets to the game on Saturday, February 25th. I always get sad, Brian, that you and I aren't allowed to enter. These I know. Contests. I feel like they should let us ride the Zamboni. Like, I feel <gasps> like that's the move. The common good Zamboni ride. Yeah. I yeah. love this idea. Or like the, the between periods where you get to shoot the puck or something. I feel like I feel like we need to be involved in this somehow. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever been to the Chicago Wolves game out at the Rosemont at I the haven't. Allstate Arena. It's Here's what makes it so fun, because they're not really credit. Obviously, a Blackhawks game is Yeah, that's where I've been, Blackhawks, yeah. But the 
cost difference between taking your family to a Blackhawks game and taking your family to a Wolves game is remarkable. Like, it's not close. And so it becomes an affordable way to go enjoy a game. And, you know, minor league hockey, minor league baseball, minor league, they're so fan and family friendly because they want to win you over. So there's always a ton of stuff going on. It's a blast. I've taken, uh, I at least took my son to a game a couple years ago and it was a blast. Okay, yeah, I've never seen the Chicago Wolves play, so that and I like the idea of affordable family tickets. So there we go. All right, um, Brian. Mm-hmm. Speaking of attending things, we have a little conversation about church attendance. All the statistics are out there that church attendance is declining, especially post COVID. Although I do think a lot of pastors I'm hearing are starting to say, okay, people are coming again. It's building back up. There's a new energy that's happening. But I think the question is why. Like we talked to our our people at Renewal Church about at church attendance. Like if Renewal Church is your church, we invite you to attend as often as you can. Why, in your opinion, does church attendance even matter? Hmm. And I guess I mean in-person church attendance, of course, barring any, yeah, you know, illness, inability to come, that kind of thing. So uh, there's a couple reasons for me. One is... Um, community, family, because the Bible is very clear that, that our Christian walk, our faith is meant to be lived one another, right? How many one another's are there throughout scripture? And, you know, you can get that in your neighborhood or that, but when it comes to a growing faith, that is meant to be lived out communally through the local church. Right. And uh, so that's a big one for me. Um, yes, you can listen to podcasts and you can listen to worship music and this and that. But then there's also uh, something about communally hearing, sitting under God's word, mm-hmm. worshiping together, celebrating the sacraments of communion, baptism yep. together. So for me, the top of that list is the togetherness, yeah. because with that then branches off a whole bunch of different things like accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, who's there for you if you're wandering, if you're off? Who's yeah. who's there for you to a- answer, you know, wrestle with questions for you. And it's also in community that we spur one another on to love and good deeds. Right. Uh, and so there's that. I mean, also, Aubrey, to get uh, uh, this probably isn't the most practical, but I understand people want to debate wh- how the church looks now versus what it looked like in the early church and all this sure. stuff. With that said, the church was God's idea. Yeah. And so to kind of arrogantly say, I don't need it, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean the current church doesn't need reforming and other things. But to yeah. just say, I don't need the church strikes me as just terribly arrogant because it's God who introduced the church. Um, you know, it is it is scripture that says the gates of hell will not defeat it. Like it's it's not like something we created in 1948. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's right. been around. So those are the first things that come to mind for me. What about you? What, how do you answer that question? I, I'm trying to think if there's anything I would add to that. And I, I think like our, you know, we know that our unity matters, like Jesus mm-hmm. prayed for our unity. And I do know that when we're apart, um, isolated like the enemy can use that to kind of like tell stories about one another and we lose some of that unity that God wants for us I definitely think that embodied family worship embodied family spiritual practices embodied family sacraments 
it's just really, really important to remind ourselves that we need each other, that we are flesh and blood, that we don't do this thing alone. Um, and then I would also say, and I've just been thinking about this more recently, so this isn't a fully formed thought, but there is, you know, as I'm getting older, you're getting older, like, what does it mean to both be and have spiritual mothers and fathers? Mm. Um, and I don't know that you can do that online or over Zoom. Like, there has to be relational connection if we want to see, if we want to pour into the next generation and if we want to be poured into by those older, like faithful Christians. And that one that helps us keep going. It helps us in our time of need. It helps us in our pain. Like we just need each other ultimately. And then ultimately, I think like you said, God calls us to gather together. That's right. And so I, I, if nothing else for obedience sake, doesn't mean you can't miss a Sunday service now and again. But um, to have a genuine sort of regular gathering with your community, your Christian community, I think really, really matters for the Christian life. So everybody Um, knows these. So what is it? What do you think? But we also see that church attendance is going down in terms of frequency. So I have wrestled with we've all preached these sermons. We all know these things. If you grew up in the church, is there a disillusionment to the church or is just, it's just, we're busy and we've lost kind of that prioritizing of it. What, what do you think is, cause it's not a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of, Oh my, yeah. nobody's listening right now going, what the church is important. <laughs> right, right, right. So what's going on culturally, church culturally right now? You know, what's interesting. I had a conversation recently with an older couple in their seventies And they've been Christians, you know, most of their lives, right? And they were saying in COVID, they just got in a routine Mm. of online church. And they're like, we really, we know we quote unquote should go, but it's so convenient. It's Mm -hmm. so easy to put on our pajamas and sip our coffee and watch church and we feel like we're getting fed and we're, but I, and I kind of challenged them. I was like, but you're not serving like you, yeah. especially at your age, the church needs you and needs your wisdom. And if you stay isolated and individualized, you're not serving, you're not baton passing like God has called you to do. And um, they're like, yeah, we get it. It's just easier on a Sunday morning. And so That's right. I, I don't know, Brian, that feels like a, a lack of passion, a lack of commitment. It feels like a choosing kind of the American way of ease over what's best. Mm -hmm. And look, I get it. I loved staying at home during COVID on Sunday mornings and like worshiping (laughs) with my family in my pajamas. I'm not going to lie. It was so fun and refreshing, but ultimately I just don't think those, that isolation is the church. I agree. Sort of like within the definition of the church is family and body and community and so to do it alone, it's just too individualized. I agree. I, I think those are all right. I don't think there's any grand, like, rebelling against. There is for some, but I yeah. don't think there's, like, this mass rebelling against the church. I think it's a loss of what it's supposed to mean. I think some of that falls on us as church leaders going, we're yeah. not giving them the right picture right. of church. Right. But I do think it's we. It's convenience and it's just busyness. It's We yeah. have things on Sunday morning now. So I think we've got... We all need to think about 
what is the church meant to be, mm-hmm. where are we missing the mark, and what's it meant to be in our individual lives? Yeah, that's that's good. Anyway, interesting things to think about. Well, coming up next, we might raise a few eyebrows on this one. We're going to talk about having a career versus having kids. We'll do that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. After this, Brian, I'm going to give you some Valentine's trivia. Are you ready? Oh, I'm going to nail this one. I'm such a romantic. I'm such a romantic (laughs) that I will get this. Everyone does think, oh, this is Brian Fromm's holiday. (laughs) (laughs) There's one person who does not think that. (laughs) She lives with me. Who that is? Her name is Mary Mrom. All right, Brian. I uh, speaking of you know Valentine's and romance, I want to have a conversation about family and uh, kids because I was reading an article, and of course I can't find it now, but essentially what it said is uh, there is no biblical mandate to have kids. Mm. And the question is, can faithful Christians, I think this is probably a conversation more for women than for men, but let's, let's kind of keep it for both. Can you be a faithful Christian and choose, I want to pour into my career rather than have kids? So we're talking about married people here, correct? Uh, Let's assume we're talking about married people, yes. So can we? Yes. Uh, I don't think there's anything sinful about if you and Kevin had decided, you know what? We want to be able to give all of our energy to our jobs, to traveling, to mission work, to whatever else. There is... There is nothing uh, sinful like where I'd be like, oh, my gosh, you guys need to repent of that and start having children. Right. <laughs> right? right, right. Uh, that would be weird. I, I don't think. And so I would take it off of the level of should. Yeah. That's um, good. What does the Bible say? You know, I mean, there are passages about like, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to really tone it down. Have babies, right? Yeah. Like fill the earth. And yeah. so there is that 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 I suppose we have to wrestle with. But taking it off of the should, Aubrey, I just struggle with it feels short-sighted to me. Mm. And I apologize, I guess, in advance if I'm going to insult you because people out there, because I understand, like I got married young, had kids, like I wanted to have kids, yeah. all of this stuff. With that said, uh I always feel badly for people who make that choice. Not yeah. for there are some people for whom that choice is made, right? They can't have kids. And I understand that. So that's yeah. not what I'm talking about right, here. Right. But for the people who are married and who go, we are choosing not to have children in order to further our career, to have freedom, yeah. to maximize our budget, yeah. to whatever else it might be, because we all know kids are expensive. Um I always end up feeling badly for them. Like and I think it's short sighted. It? I do almost 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think there will come a point in their lives where they will go, wow, there must have been more than this. But unfortunately, that often comes at a point in your life where you're kind of past the age of having kids. Yeah. And so I tend to, um, and I've had this conversation with people. I would, I, I lovingly try to say, I, I don't think you're thinking big picture here. Like I understand when you're in your mid twenties and you're being told further your career. Now's yeah. the time. Start putting money in your 401k. Yeah. You, you know what killed my retirement in my twenties? 
was having a baby. Having children. Like, Definitely. Killed my retirement Definitely. fund, right? And so I totally get those things. Yeah. But I think that ultimately people who make the conscious decision to not have children are missing an enormous aspect mm. of of what makes life meaningful and good. Mm-hmm. And pro- again, I fully understand there are people who can't have kids. Yeah, that's and not that's, what I, you're talking about. I am and not, not saying, talking about single people either. I am not saying if you can't have kids or you're single, you can't have a meaningful life. Yeah. Absolutely, I'm not saying that. Yeah. But for those of you who choose, for whatever reason, I would, I would go... Here's what I would do. I would go to somebody who's married and older... In their, Mm -hmm. let's say you're in your mid 20s, go pull somebody aside in their 40s or whatever, who you respect in your church or whatever, and go, here's what we're thinking. I need your honest opinion and, and like wrestle with it because I get it in your 20s, like being no kids and free sounds really fun, but I I don't, I just, I, I just don't think it plays out that way. Um. You know, it is interesting. I'm so glad you took this off of the level of should because I, you know, it's obvious like Jesus did not have kids. Like, yes, are we all children of God? Yes. But like Jesus didn't have kids. We don't know about the Apostle Paul. Like we, you know, there's some controversy about whether or not he was married, had kids. I'm going to assume he wasn't because he talks about it's better to be single. So you are not less effective if you don't have kids in ministry. You are not sinning. You are not like you're. I I think you cannot have the conversation that way. And I also think on the opposite end, the pressure that Christianity puts on, especially women to choose kids over career. I am not comfortable with that at all. I just don't, I don't think it's biblical. That said, being a mom of three boys, I can also say like, they're my pride and joy. And sometimes I do wrestle with like, I love them so much, but I also feel called to things. What's the right way to handle this? And that, that is a tricky it is a tricky reality of of being a person who wants to pursue a career but also wants to enjoy their family and enjoy their kids. That said, I would never go back and not have kids. Mm-hmm. Like I just think the yes, they bring hardship, yes, they bring financial difficulty, but the love and affection and um uh joy, right? From having them, not perfection, not, not stressless life. But there is something about the blessing of children that um, I would I would go back and do every single time. Like Absolutely. if I could go back, I would. But I I think I'd be curious to hear from the listeners out there who have decided, hey, no, we're just choosing not to have kids. I would love to hear perspective on that. What the blessing that that's given you, and if you do have regrets, like I think it'd be interesting to hear from from another perspective on that. So if you want to let us know on our social media at common good talk on Facebook, we would love to hear from you. Um, It's interesting because even somebody like John Piper says, I don't think the Bible mandates having kids. Tim Challies, who we've been on the show before says it's okay deliberately not to have children. So there are, different viewpoints about there. I think the question you're, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but Mm -hmm. you're saying like you might regret it. So think long term about it. Yeah, I think it, it, I mean, Aubrey, I guess I'd also put it this way. I don't sure anything has taught me more about um, my faith than, than being a dad. 
like, uh, you know, with our Heavenly Father. And so, yeah, Tim Challies, I'd encourage people to go look at that article. He wrestles with it in his blog. Yeah. Uh, and he brings up, uh, Albert Moeller calls it basically a rebellion against God's design. So there wow. is there is a, pe- a a spectrum here of of conversation. I just would like to do it more pastorally and with a heart of going, yeah, I don't yeah. want to take this in the realm of should or shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would want to really help people with their perspective and their priorities and really cause them to search, which we don't often do in our mid-20s when we're actually having to make some of these decisions. Yeah, that that is uh, that's a good, good thought. All right. Well, coming up next, Brian, I'm going to give you some Valentine's trivia. Are you ready? I'm going to dominate this. Okay, we'll see. We'll see if you do when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It is time for some Valentine's Day trivia. We're going to end the show by giving... We're going to challenge Brian to see if he truly is a romantic at heart. Some of these have nothing to do with romance, but they're fun questions. Here's a question, Brian, that will uh, let us know if you're actually a good pastor or not. Are you ready for that? <laughs> yes. The answer to that is no. Here we go. Before X stood for a kiss, you know, like X's and O's, what did it represent at the end of a letter? At the end of a letter? Mm-hmm. Before X stood for... I was going to go with the name Christ. You're so close. That- you're so close. Okay. The Should cross. I be the cross? Okay. At the end of a letter. Really? Yeah, okay. Letter, apparently. Yeah. I didn't know that. So now we know it's just sort of like, that's where you sign your signature, but apparently yeah. it yeah. used to mean the cross. Okay. In Roman mythology, Cupid mm-hmm. is the son of whom? Is this like a, a, am I guessing the man and the woman or am I guessing? No, no. Ju- I don't know if this is a man or a woman. I'm not going to lie. I will give oh. you a hint. It's a planet. Jupiter. Nope. Venus. Venus. I was like, I'm trying to think. Who else was like, one? Mercury. Mars. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Venus. Was Venus a man or a female or a female. male god? A female. God. Yeah, I, yes. should, I should know that, but I don't. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of one for two. Kind of. Kind of. A little bit. All right. In Roman mythology, with whom does Cupid fall in love? Hmm. I have absolutely no idea. I'm trying to think if I should give you a hint. Think therapists. Think therapists. Think psychology. Uh, you're still. I'm. I'm really still have not. To know a, a lot of Roman mythology. It's psyche. He fell in love with psyche. Psyche. That was good. I was trying to think of uh, <laughs> what is this? What is the one so many people go to therapy for because oh, they're like too close? To, they're, or they're cl- or, or they're too close to their mom. <laughs> it's that one. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Okay. Uh, what Valentine's Day candy was first created on equipment made for lozenges? Hmm. Lozenges. So that's hard candy. Mm-hmm. What would even be considered that's not chocolate? Oh, Brian, you're missing a big one. Is it like those little candy hearts? It's those little candy hearts. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Hearts. Yep. In fact, when did sweethearts first get their shape? When did Sweet? Uh, I'm uh, going to just tell you it's very, very, very early in the 1900s. Oh, I was going to guess 1926. Nope, earlier. 1911. Earlier. 1904. 
1901. Yep, 1901. Okay. Well done. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see if there's a lot of questions about Roman mythology here. I don't. I don't know if you'll know this. Wearing your heart on your sleeve has origins from honoring which Roman goddess? Wearing your heart on your sleeve. I would never have known this. Uh, isn't there a, a Roman goddess, Ares? Is that not a Roman goddess? There is, but uh, this one is Juno. Oh, I would not. I did not yeah. even know that was Me a Roman neither. goddess. Me okay. okay, let's see if you can get this. This is The answer for this is something in your pantry. Okay. In the Victorian era, mean-spirited Valentine's Day cards were called blank Valentines. Uh, they were called vinegar Valentines. <gasps> yeah, you got it! <gasps> No way. That's totally guessed. That's so, so good. Okay. I thought there was no chance of that. Okay. All right. Oh, you should know this one because you actually kind of told us this tale earlier, Brian. Oh. From where was the oldest known Valentine's Day message sent? From where? Prison. Yes, from prison. St. Valentine's Day writing to the, was it the jailer's daughter, I suppose? Yeah, who was blind, I think. Okay. Um. Oh. Oh, this is interesting. Sweetheart's production was temporarily suspended in which year? It was recent. That feels like a COVID deal. Yeah. So 20, 2020? 2020. Yep. Okay. That's definitely a COVID deal. All right. Are you ready for this? Stupid COVID. They Stupid cost COVID. us sweethearts. Come on. Yes, I mean, the, the fallout from COVID is just disastrous. It right. never ends. <laughs> How many roses are sent for Valentine's Day each year? This is a big number. Mm, this is a big number. It's in the millions. I'll give you that. I would guess it's in the hundred of millions. I'm going to go it's uh, 200 million roses. Man, you are romantic. It's 50 million. It's 50 oh. million. Yeah, I feel What's like wrong with our better. people out there? Your number is better. Okay. And I guess that's sent, maybe not bought. So. Yeah, true, true. Okay, I'm going to ask you uh, one more. Are you ready? Okay, I'm going to get on, this. This is for all the marbles. On average, this is for everything. This is a hard one for everything, by the way. On average, how many Valentine's proposals are there every year? Uh, so one too many. To on <laughs> Valentine's Day. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you give me four choices with one of them being correct. Okay, okay, here we go. I'm very bad on the spot at this because <laughs> you usually like pause except on the one that's the <laughs> I answer. Know, so, I know. is it a one hundred thousand? Okay. Is it B two hundred thousand? Okay. Is it C two hundred and twenty thousand? Is it D three hundred thousand? like i just gave you that answer <laughs> you totally did <laughs> there's no way that it's not two hundred and twenty thousand from what you just said <laughs> i see is i'm it, so bad i'm so bad on the spot of what is what is pi is it one two three or three point one four that's basically what you just did there <laughs> that's exactly what i did i wanted you to win i that was me that was my uh, valentine's gift thank you Brian. thank you all right we are gonna end the show with a prayer from pete greek pete greek is the 24 7 prayer guy um, he actually has an app that I love called Lectio 365, where he has 
uh, like daily offices and prayers each and every day. It's it's really wonderful. On that app this morning, he read a Valentine's Day prayer that he wrote himself, and then he actually posted it on Instagram as well. You can read it at Pete.Grieg. But I want to read it to you and end our show with this because it's so, so beautiful. So this is Pete Grieg's prayer for Valentine's Day. I pray today for those in love, those out of love, and those in between. I remember especially those who find themselves a little bit lonelier than normal. Lord, I do not pray today for loved-up couples exchanging overpriced flowers and foil-wrapped hearts, leaking pheromones like diesel fumes at candlelit dinners. I'm pretty sure they will be okay for now. Instead, I hereby dedicate this happy crappy day to anyone caring for loved ones with a chronic illness of body, mind, or soul. Lord, let them be a little bit more okay because I prayed. Flame of love, melt our tiny, tinny chocolate hearts wherever marriages have grown cold, calloused with conflict, or mired in the mundane. Would you please rekindle the fires of true romance? Attend to the elderly gentleman gazing at a fading sepia photograph in a silver frame of a wedding in another time. Look at him and look with him and be with him in the remembering and the unremembering too. And on this day, named after one of your unmarried saints, would you please bring a little unexpected joy to anyone wistfully buying flowers for themselves? Let their daffodils last longer and shine brighter than the overpriced red roses that also caught their eye. God of all comfort, strengthen single parents on this difficult day. Let their kids be kind. Let their teens tidy their bedrooms. And if that's a miracle too far, I realize you've got a lot going on in the world right now. Could they at least be less grumpy and initiate a hug at bedtime? And so, may the arms of love flung wide on the cross embrace the unlovely and unloving parts of my world, my workplace, and my life today. Forgive me, I pray, for this cheap, hysterical, isolating thing I have sometimes made of love, of life, and of you. Amen. Mm, that's love beautiful. That. I know. I yeah. love that prayer from Pete Greek. Well, wherever you are, we hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.